Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. Good morning. It's 830 on Monday, February 5th. I'm Desiree Frazier. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, Latinx and indigenous Mississippians graduating from training to help bridge gaps in health care. Then vaccine hesitancy could lead to higher rates of HPV in the state. Plus, activists are calling for better equal pay laws. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Indigenous and Latinx Mississippians are going into their communities to help educate and empower them to access health care. Many areas across Mississippi have gaps in health care coverage. Minority communities are more likely to fall through the cracks. The state's indigenous or immigrant population often have to drive an hour or more to see a doctor, and then when they get there, the medical staff may not speak Spanish. Doctors say these hurdles can often keep patients from going to seek help. In response to these needs, the Immigrant Alliance for Justice and Equality has hosted training for promotoras. That's the Spanish word for community health workers. Eudenia Dezu Rodriguez, manager for the program, speaks with our Kobe Vance. This is the key. We need to share information, but information that is based in science, is proven, and that we really will be able to help our community. I think that when we identify some problems, we need to be able to solve it from knowledge, like the starting point. What does it mean to you to be able to serve in this capacity, to be able to help them address the health issues across Mississippi? I, at the beginning, I, I never thought the impact of this program. I only was thinking, okay, let's share, let's help one another. But now that I have more consciousness of the situation, I believe that only when we come united with knowledge, from the heart, we can really have the power. The power that is not money, the power that is love and knowledge. What we learn, what we share, and we all, everyone of the promotoras and everyone in the community here in Mississippi has something important to share. That sometimes we are waiting for the perfect moment. And the thing is today, people are in it, and we can share it right now, today. 
15 women are graduating the program who live from the Delta to the Jackson Metro, some even from other countries. Lorena Quiotis is executive director, and she says the women graduating are now more prepared to answer questions about where to see a doctor, what medical rights people have, and other things that will help them get the attention they need. This is just the beginning, though our work is informed by the CDC model of community health workers that has been proven to be effective. These are women that are leaders in their community that are the lifeline to resources and information. Um, Again, this is just the foundation. The goal is to have an army of empowered and educated immigrants, children of immigrants, and particularly in this time when we're about to lose about 30% of our rural hospitals because we're not, you know, legislation and policy, um, we're not expanding the Medicaid. With women that are migrating and have all these intersectional issues, you know, reproductive justice, language justice, they are so important to the work. They not only know about these preventive health measures, measures, but also um, they know the law, they know their rights. So asking for interpreters, they know about the things that that are due to them as human beings. So we just see this as as just a little seed to, you know, and it's it's just like the young woman said in her her poem, it's we're just going to grow and grow. How do you think this is going to empower them to be able to provide or at least raise up the issue of providing better health coverage, better health equity uh, in their areas? So I'm going to give you an example. Um, Our communities are known for being very conservative and not even speaking about certain things. For example, reproductive justice or STDs because of religious views or maybe just not knowing people or not the language. Uh, One of the most interesting conversations happened towards the end of the program because we had gained so much trust and they were able to ask questions that uh, I have 20 years uh, experience in the health department that many people were not able to get from from community. And they shared with us a lot of their concerns around reproductive health. And so what they're learning and opening the doors and encouraging other people to do as far as education and preventive, that's really going to have a huge impact for immigrants in Mississippi. And we're not going to see it right away. But they're already talking to people. They already they know about that they have to walk or, or not even eating 10 tortillas, but now we're eating two tortillas. Small little things that they're changing and that we've watched happen are going to make a huge impact in our Latino and immigrant communities. Now, y'all had a panel discussion with some of y'all's graduates here a while back, and you just alluded to this about how there are the language barriers can provide HIPAA issues. Uh, then there was another uh, woman who spoke about how this program allowed y'all to just even get heaters to people that were in need in their communities when we had that cold snap a couple weeks ago. What do you see this program having in terms of being able to educate on those issues and, I guess, again, to reinforce the practices y'all are doing? What we're doing is we're using the promotora model with the leadership building, which is organizing. So these women were taught to organize or be leaders in their community. And because they're leaders in their community and because they're learning these things and they talk to other people, they don't just keep the information to themselves. They're actually teaching the things that, you know, that Udenia, our program manager, uh, you know, shared with them. But in the instances where we just had this horrible cold, they knew who needed that extra help. And if they weren't aware, somebody told them. So now they have someone in here, in their communities, in these 
very rural spaces where we don't have access to information, right? No TV in Spanish. Telemundo is national. No local newspapers. And these women told us, el señor this, Mr. So-and-so, he doesn't have a heater. His, his feet are freezing. So those are the things now that we are aware of. When we had natural disasters, they're the first ones to let us know whose roof has fallen, who's, you know, what are the things that are happening to the children, uh, who needs an interpreter, who needs a translator. So they, we're making inroads in communities that had not been reached in the past. And I can imagine that they having this experience with the people that are in their communities, they're able to see things that otherwise would completely get lost. Right, right. And, and just to give you an example, even myself, I, I am in community all the time, but I separate for some reason or another, I'm not able to reach some areas. But when I go back, people still have to ask me, are you really Lorena? Uh, let me invite somebody else. Is, is that Lorena? And so we are living with the, um, with the trauma on our shoulders. And I understand, right? We had these huge raids. And I know we people tell us don't, don't talk about them. But no, it, it affected us. And it, it affects the way that we even trust each other. And so be, to be able to have these women, uh, 16 in total, 14 in the state, and two out of the country to inform us about how migration is moving has to me been amazing watching this this grow and watching it again being developed by you know our promotora manager and the lead promotora. Lorena Quiros is executive director for the Immigrant Alliance for Justice and Equity. Next, vaccine hesitancy could be leading to higher rates of HPV in the state. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. MPB Think Radio, whatever your taste, news, music, storytelling, or how-to shows. Whatever your city, Natchez, Jackson, Tupelo, Cleveland. However you want, radio, smart speaker, smartphone app. MPB Think Radio. What can you do with the MPB Radio app? Listen live, hear local news, view the schedule, make a contribution, listen to shows on demand, and interact with social media. Get the app for your smartphone now. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. HPV, one of the most common sexually transmitted diseases, is a major cause of cancer in the state. A vaccine is available and if taken by the age of 12, can protect someone during the most sexually active parts of life. Nationally, the vaccine has cut HPV rates by more than 60 percent since it was first introduced in 2014. But according to Dr. At the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, uptake in Mississippi is just half the national average. That means not many people, not enough people are getting vaccinated. Dr. Carol Ann Risley is an associate professor at the University of Mississippi Medical Center, and she tells our Mike McEwen that vaccine hesitancy is undermining the state's response to this disease. I wish I knew the causal factors behind low vaccination rates, but they're very multifactorial. The pandemic has influenced uh, the decrease of vaccinations broadly across the United States for other childhood vaccinations, and HPV is one of them because you can start at age nine, and we recommend that. Um, there is uh, some issue of vaccine confidence specifically related to the HPV vaccine, and I think that we're getting the message out that it's safe and effective and it's cancer prevention. 
And so we're expecting to see a, a tremendous uptake in that, like we were seeing prior to the pandemic. But we are exploring all of the the messaging that we can display and, and how we can make a confident provider recommendation as a clinician so that we can influence the uptake of this cancer prevention vaccine. And just in the context of Mississippi, could you talk about what are some of the most commonly related cancers to HPV? The most common related cancer for HPV among men is oral pharyngeal cancer. And that is significantly higher than it is for the most commonly known HPV related cancer, which is cervical cancer. So vaccination can influence and decrease those tremendously, and it has been shown to decrease cancer in the cohort that's been vaccinated, particularly in the cervical cancer arena, because we can track those those cases because we are screening with the HPV test. So that's the way that you can track the decrease in the incidence by being able to test for HPV, the, the known viral cause of HPV-related cancers. But HPV is also uh, a a known factor and cause of anal cancer and vaginal cancer, vulvar cancer, as well as cervical cancer. What's very important that most people don't know is that HPV also causes warts, and they're very disfiguring warts. So I believe that if we increase the message that your daughter or your son can also get these disfiguring warts, not just cancer and not just cancer of the cervix, but but it's more of a factor in males with cervix of oral pharyngeal cancer that you would be interested in getting this cancer prevention vaccine to also reduce the incidence of these disfiguring warts. And I believe the statistics on the incidence of warts is somewhere in the range of over 350,000 cases are being seen by our dermatologists and our primary care practitioners and our OBGYNs for warts that are related to HPV that are very difficult to treat. You need to freeze them, burn them, cut them off, and they are very, very resistant and keep coming back. So it's a problem for a population. And I think if they knew that HPV vaccination would reduce the incidence of warts. You would never want your daughter or your son to get these warts and need to be treated for these persistently. What do you think is the level of understanding that the general public has between contracting HPV and the risk of cervical cancer later in life or other cancers? I think that we as healthcare professionals need to increase the education that we're doing for health literacy in the public because we really believe that the, the level of understanding is too low and that most people do not know that HPV is causing cervical cancer. And most people do not know that the vaccine is safe and effective at preventing it. Most people do not know that we can eliminate cervical cancer in our lifetime if we would just vaccinate by age nine or before age 12. And and if you're not vaccinated, there's perfect screening tests available to detect almost every uh, cervical cancer that is occurring. So if you're not going to have your child vaccinated for the cancer vaccine, you definitely need to make sure that those 
those young those young girls and and even older females are getting screening because we can eliminate the cancer by screening. Screening has fallen off for cervical cancer tremendously in the young age group, and uh, almost a third of them are being reported as being overdue and not being seen. However, what's very alarming is we have made tremendous strides in the decrease of cervical cancer over the past few years with vaccination and screening. But just recently, the American Cancer Society put out a a very large report that shows the diagnosis of cervical cancer among females ages 30 to 44 rose almost 2% a year from 2012 to 2019. Now that's alarming. We don't have vaccines that that fight cancer. We have some, but this one is very preventable. If you don't have the vaccine, you can get a screen. The Mississippi State Department of Health has been one of the providers in a very great success story that they have been screening for cervical cancer and providing this free to those in need. And and almost anyone is available to go to the health department and get these free tests. There's also free tests at the health department for not just cervical cancer, but breast cancer with wonderful federal programs that are funded by the CDC to, to diagnose and even treat breast and cervical cancer if you're diagnosed it um, at that free test. So I would encourage the population to return to getting their screening tests at the Mississippi Department of Health and any any provider that's available, most of these tests can be done by free, whether you have insurance or not. Dr. Carol Ann Risley is an associate professor at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Coming up, activists are calling for better equal pay laws in Mississippi. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. MPB Think Radio, whatever your taste, news, music, storytelling, or how-to shows. Whatever your city, Natchez, Jackson, Tupelo, Cleveland. However you want, radio, smart speaker, smartphone app. MPB Think Radio. MPB Think Radio airs local programs every weekday morning at 9. It's your chance to learn about Southern cooking, home improvement projects, and more. MPB Think Radio, Mississippi is our mission. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. Several bills are being considered by the legislature this year. One is, should Mississippi strengthen its equal pay laws? The Equal Pay for Equal Work Act was signed into law in 2022, but people who advocate for women's rights say it has major pitfalls that could legalize unfair pay in several ways. Cassandra Walchlin is executive director of the Mississippi Black Women's Roundtable. She was able to attend an event at the White House last week celebrating the 15th anniversary of the Lilly Ledbetter Fair Pay Act. Welchlin tells our Kobe Vance the national law could still be improved, but she continues to push for improvements within state law. We were able to ask the White House to finalize the rule on banning salary history for federal workers and to issue the notice of proposed rulemaking for federal contractors 
and to deliver, you know, for a policy win on the anniversary and all of those things was successful. The White House did all of that. And so that was really good and important as we continue to fight for uh, pay equity in this country and, of course, particularly in Mississippi. Now, you and I have spoken about Mississippi's quote-unquote equal pay law, uh, the Equal Pay for Equal Work Act, I believe is what it was called. Uh, but you've raised concerns in the past and continue to about how this bill allows for wage discrimination based on work history, uh, things like that. What are your thoughts going into this year's session, knowing that y'all are having this event celebrating the national equal pay bill or equal pay law while also having to deal with continued possible pay inequity here in Mississippi? We know that the bill that passed in 2022 fell way short of giving us a good equal pay bill, and we call it the unequal pay bill because it continues to um, codify into law wage discrimination. And one of the main things that we really wanted in that bill is to um, is to ban salary history. Um, it is the best practice when we talk about closing the wage gap. And so this legislative session, we will be introducing a bill to ban salary history. Now, what we mean by that in particular you know, the impact of the wage gap, you know, it just really goes beyond, you know, the individual paycheck and indirectly hinders, you know, Mississippi from providing for their families. Anytime an applicant or an employer rely on salary history to hire, to set pay, it pushes an employee wages back and keeps them from moving forward. It's not giving them opportunity to get to a higher salary. They're being held back based on old salaries. And so we need employers um, to pay employees for their new job and not their old job. And so, and we know that, you know, black women and brown women face significant biases in the workplace and particularly are paid less. That is still a very much a priority of ours because, you know, at the end of the day, and, you know, Lily Ledbetter had to go to court to fight for her wage recovery, and she still didn't get the $3 million. And what we say is that women don't want to go to court. We just want to be able to go to work and go back home. For us, we're still committed to that, and we believe employers need to be fair to their employees, particularly if we're continuing to call ourselves a business-friendly um, state. Well, that means, you know, honor the workers by paying them what um, they should be paid and not relying on the salary history. What other things are y'all looking at this legislative session? Uh, I've seen a few bills already filed about equal pay, but is there anything else that y'all are looking at? Oh, absolutely. Of course, we know one of the top things is around health care, um, closing the, ca- the coverage gap. For us, that is so important. It is a hot-button um, issue Um, But it's a life and death issue. Mississippi is the uh, maternal health desert in the country. It's a morality issue about how much we really care about our moms and our babies. Last year, we were able to push a campaign around the postpartum, which was Strong Babies, Healthy Moms. We're continuing that campaign when it comes to presumptive eligibility and also 
closing um, the coverage gap and making sure that every citizen in Mississippi who needs health care coverage gets that. So that's one of the things. The other thing that's important on our list is paid and safe leave. So what this bill does, it expands to women who are in conflict situations and sexual assault. Um, it gives them an opportunity or gives them opportunity to take off work and care for themselves, care for their children due to a restraining order, due to court hearings related to domestic violence and sexual assault. And another one is around the Crown Act. We're going to be supporting that. School districts, along with employers, you know, still discriminate against um, black hair. And with our protective styles, with our, you know, our locks, our afros, we want to be able to make sure that, again, every worker has a safe place to be because everyone deserves safety, and that's in the workplace and in the schools, and to hold um, employers and um, school districts accountable in how they um, treat children um, and also how they treat their workers. And so those are some of the things that we're going to be focusing on this legislative session. Cassandra Welchlin is executive director of the Mississippi Black Women's Roundtable. Cassandra, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you so much for having me. This has been Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio.